0: Welcome to the Building Confidence podcast brought to you by KPMG where we explore a range of issues which impact on stakeholder confidence in governance, corporate reporting and audit. I'm Michelle Hinschliff and I'm your host for today. Today we have a special two-part episode for you. In part one we'll be examining the progress made during COP26 and consider the impact on corporates. In particular how they can help accelerate towards net zero Now this is a challenge facing all organisations, regardless of the sector they operate in. And with 90% of the world signed up to net zero, it's more important than ever for businesses to understand how they measure and disclose their climate risk. In part two, we'll be focusing on the reporting landscape. We'll look to share some industry examples of good practice and explore the role that board members should take. So back to COP26. Now it highlighted progress towards delivering on the Paris Agreement goals of limiting global warming. But it also brought to light that there is much more to do. And to help unravel what key actions business leaders should be taking to address this, I'm delighted to welcome our two guests today, Simon Henry and Simon Verley. And I'll hand over to them to introduce themselves. Firstly, Simon Henry.
1: Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Simon Henry, currently non-executive director at Rio Tinto, UK Ministry of Defence, Harbour Energy and Petra China. Uh, I was previously a member of the board at Lloyds Banking Group and before that, 35 years in the energy industry with Royal Debt Shell.
0: Thank you, uh, Simon. And now to Simon Verley. Now, we're probably going to get confused with two Simons, but we'll give it a go. Simon Verley, over to you.
2: Yeah, hi everybody. Simon Verley, uh, Vice Chair and Head of Energy and Natural Resources at KPMG in the UK. Been advising on energy and climate issues for over 30 years, 25 of those in the government where I was Director General for Energy. I now spend my time advising investors on the energy transition and had two happy weeks up at COP26 in Glasgow.
0: Simon Burley, that's a great introduction to COP26, so I'm going to come to you first to perhaps set the scene, share some of your perspectives on the notable highlights and any shortcomings you may have identified.
2: Yeah, thanks, Michelle. Um, So, as as I say, I've been involved in a lot of COPs from my time in governments, good ones like Paris uh, and ones that were less successful like Copenhagen. I wasn't very optimistic going into Glasgow, I have to say, because I thought the geopolitics around climate change were just looking extremely difficult, but it surprised me on the upside. Uh, As you mentioned, Michelle, in your introduction, we've now got over 90 percent of the world signed up to net zero, albeit those plans are by no means ambitious enough, particularly in the short term, to get us to limit global warming to the one and a half degrees set out in the Paris uh, agreement. Um, But we did get a host of what we call bottom-up initiatives, you know, whether it's on powering past coal, on cutting methane emissions, on reforestation, on climate finance. And I think they will provide a significant amount of momentum going forward, Um, as well as perhaps the key development that we can come on to later in this discussion, which is around the new corporate disclosure rules and, you know, the new commitments that were announced uh, up in Glasgow, Because one way or another, they're going to affect every business in Britain, uh, whether you're large or small, whether you're carbon intensive uh, or not. And uh, it's not just about complying with the rules. It's also about whether your your finances, your investors, your banks are going to ask you the question. And if they're not asking you the question about how you're reducing your carbon footprint, uh, probably uh, your end users will. And if, if they aren't, probably your staff will. So one way or another, this is going to be affecting every company in Britain.
0: That's great. Thank, thank you. So maybe Simon Henry, any thoughts? Um, Simon Verley said he uh, wasn't too optimistic going into COP twenty six. What was what were your thoughts or takeaways?
1: I think, in an overall perspective, very similar to Simon's, the outcome was more positive than it was portrayed by many. Uh, particularly if it does lead to uh, defining uh, concrete action plans and resource allocation that. Um, Life stands the test of time if it's aligned with the discussion. The mere fact that so much of the world is effectively signing up for net zero by 2050, and even China's 2060 is uh, possibly the biggest single commitment that that, that has been made. Uh, I'd only add a couple of other things. I think the bottom-up approach was actually quite helpful because that broke down into very specific areas, the sort of issues we're probably about to, to come on to to discuss. So areas like reforestry, uh, transport, methane emissions. Uh, ultimately, these affect many businesses. Uh, and the only other thing I would notice, there's a lot of um, disappointment expressed around the conference about contributions from the US and China, but they actually made a deal with each other, which is a potentially quite substantive, supportive Underlined, uh, and they may have much broader uh, consequences in terms of collaboration and positive relations than just climate change. So, uh, a, a double a double win in that sense.
0: Great. So, so, so both of you have covered off some some really important areas already. So let's maybe unpack uh, a, a few of those. Simon Burley, if we start at a, at a, a, a high a higher level, big picture. What should companies be thinking about? You mentioned financing, but maybe can you e- elaborate a little bit on the, some of those bigger picture issues?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I think the point is that the finance community is far more engaged now than it's ever been before. Uh, one of the announcements up in Glasgow was the Glasgow Financial Alliance for net zero or GFANS for short, which covers $130 trillion uh, of assets under control, which are all going to be aligned towards net zero. Um, what I think this means is that investors in the investment community is going to be far more active in asking questions of companies about their plans. Have they got credible plans for the transition to a low carbon economy? And that all starts, Michelle, really with just measurement and understanding your footprint on on a scope one, two and three basis. So, you know, that sounds simple, but actually it's quite hard to do, particularly, of course, on scope three and how the goods and services your company produces uh, effectively translate into carbon emissions down the line. So I suppose, you know, in terms of things to think about, have you got that measurement? Uh, Have you got the governance right? Are you you discussing this at a board level, at a strategic level? Is it, you know, incorporated? Is this all incorporated in your strategy? Uh, And, you know, be thinking about the opportunities as well as the risks. I think that would be the other thing I'd say is, you know, this isn't just let's just comply with these new regulations it's let's think about our role in the future uh value chains that are going to be created you know the hydrogen economy for example electric vehicles um the new drive for renewable power i think all of these are opportunities for business to get involved and in. i'm sure we can come on to that a little bit later in this discussion
0: okay now before i leave you simon i'm going to ask a number of people um, like you, who 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 spend all your time in this industry, scope one, two, and three emissions roll off the tongue. So, for any of our listeners who are going, what is he talking about? Very <laughs> simply, do you want to do go through what what scope one, two, and three emissions are?
2: Well, well, basically, scope one and two is really about your company's own energy use in terms of uh, the energy that you use for your own operations, and that's really what scope one and two covers. Scope three is the tricky bit. It's about the emissions created by uh, how the goods and services your company produces get used by end users. And that, of course, is a far more difficult calculation and requires asking questions about your supply chain. And, of course, about how consumers uh, eventually use those goods and services uh, that your company produces. So lots of help is at hand. Uh, you're, you know, every company is now having to address this. So. Um, yeah, it's not simple, but it is
0: possible. So, so from what you've said, scope one and two seems a little bit easier. Scope three sounds like it's going to be quite, quite challenging. Um, Simon Henry, maybe coming to you with, a, I guess, a similar type question. And you, you didn't in your intro cover off a few quite specific uh, industries, um, transport, for example. But again, more generally, um, w- what else would you suggest companies should be thinking about now in light of the COP twenty six announcements?
1: Well, firstly, I think we do need to realise COP26 is just a waypoint on a journey. The journey is multi-decade, and it is of a scale which is almost impossible to comprehend uh, as a human enterprise. Fundamentally, till 2050, the energy transition alone is going to consume somewhere between one and a half and two trillion dollars a year on average. Uh, that's two percent, two to three percent of world GDP of new investment. In addition, the spending on other infrastructure, transport, urban is probably a larger number. And it all needs to be done in a way that is now aligned with the commitments made in Glasgow and in Paris before that. Uh, We don't really have time to spend 10 years thinking about how that money should be invested and importantly where it should come from as well. So That's the scale of the investment required and we've also got to remember the starting point. We're only just below 80% today of fossil fuel in the primary energy mix. We are decarbonising power rapidly. All the headlines are about solar and wind and hydrogen and batteries but fundamentally electricity is still only the low 20% of the total energy mix. So what is going to happen by 2050 what needs to happen is at least 50% of our power system, energy system, being electrified. There's probably a theoretical maximum around 60%. That means it's got to be much bigger than it is today. and We've probably got to use a lot less energy in total as well. Technologies exist or are on the drawing board. So it's not an impossible task, but it will be if we prevaricate and don't don't put the the thought in up front. Uh, to attract that kind of capital into the right place, to make that kind of change, needs government in policy terms, in terms of setting expectations for the way markets will work, It, uh, it needs businesses to adjust strategy, and it almost certainly needs consumers and or taxpayers who are, of course, the same thing, to change their lifestyles, or at least understand what may be quite significant short-term costs or changes in the way they live their lives uh, or their ambitions, aspirations for how quickly they will improve their lives. That's all got to come together quickly. So government, businesses and, and basically society need to be aligned in this. And one of the big outcomes of the COP series of COP meetings is that discussion takes place in a way that, that the, the alignment can and should happen because we're all being made aware of some of the things that need to be done. But the fundamental message the scale should not be underestimated. And conversely, it impacts everybody and I'm very much lived with, with Simon on that. Uh, what is really important for businesses is to start thinking now about the scenarios and the impact of the changes that are going to come on their business model, everything from customer preferences uh, through to the supply chain, through to their own products depending on what those products are, the way their businesses are financed, uh, and then ter- medium and longer term reputation. Uh, one important part of which, of course, is you know, the millennial generation wants to work for companies with a purpose and feel good about what they do. So companies that fail to grasp this challenge and, to be honest, communicate how well they're doing that, will find it really difficult to attract talent and, and retain uh, what what is ultimately the key resource for, for companies. So I'll stop there because there'll be other things potentially to, to explore, but uh, I just want to make the point that really this will affect everybody. It's multi-decade, we're talking 30, 40 years of, of consistent activity, uh, and it, it's not going to be optional for companies. We really do need to understand quite deeply the strategic and risk impact on our business.
0: So, so, so Simon, you've set out a pretty um, significant, a massive agenda and not a lot of time. I mean, it it sounds like it's a here and now um, issue that we need to tackle. So, Simon Verley, I'm going to come to you because I know you are advising a a lot of uh, companies in terms of the actions they should be taking. But is there sufficient momentum? Are you seeing sufficient momentum? Let's start in the corporate sector. I mean, um, Simon Henry spoke about government, society and businesses. Let's just focus on the businesses for the moment. Is there enough momentum at the moment to address this issue?
2: No, not fully, because we're not on track. The world isn't on track. The corporate world is not on track for what we need to do to keep global warming to a Manageable level, I. the target set out in the Paris Agreement. So much more needs to be done. Michelle, one of the things I noticed up in Glasgow was the shift from what I call 2050 focus to 2030 focus. And the attention now is all about actions in the short term. I've got a phrase which we tend to use, which is green wishing, not green washing. Green washing is when you're just making it up and just trying to put a lick of paint on your plans. Green wishing is when Uh, CEO announces target for 2050 and thinks, well, that's job done. I think those days have gone too, actually, because I think the scrutiny on what you're going to do in the short term is now coming thick and fast. And that's going to come both from regulators, but also, as I mentioned earlier, from the finance community, from your banks, from your insurers, from your other investors, as well as from end users, you know, consumers. and, And as Simon mentioned, your own staff. I mean, people want to work in companies that have got, you know, plans and purpose uh, to help make this transition to a net zero world. So I think that shift in time horizon is coming. And why is that? It's basically because the world's carbon account will be used up in the next decade if we carry on as we are. I totally agree with some. We have no time to waste on this. There's a real urgency about taking action.
0: Okay, so let me come back to you. You said we now have to focus on 2030 targets rather than 2050. But the way Simon Henry spoke, this is a 2022 issue. It's a here and now issue and companies should be taking action. Is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah, I I am. And I mean, look, I totally agree. I think you can reconcile the two points in the sense that. Your long term plans need to have granularity about what is happening in the short term to achieve them, I think. Well, the point i'm making is that the days of just saying we're going to be net zero by 2050 uh and thinking that's that's job done are, are gone now i think for the corporate world certainly in the uk uh, with the new disclosure and reporting requirements that are coming thick and fast i think those days are, are are basically uh you know in the past now so i think it has to be about the credibility of that plan over the next decade Uh, with a view to the long term targets. Of course, these may be waypoints to a longer term target, but they actually have to have some concrete actions to back them up.
0: Great, so let's come, we'll come back and explore what some of those actions could be. But I want to pick up on one point which Simon Henry made, which was around um, capital debt equity, um, irrespective of of, of the source. So Simon Henry, in terms of the COP26 announcement, on $130 trillion of financing for net zero. What do you think corporate should be thinking about in the short and long term? And is this really the key driver, the net positive for climate?
1: Uh, It's a great question, and I think the announcement itself will need some unpacking over time. Um, Fundamentally, certainly as I understand it, the 130 trillion is assets under management. So BlackRock and others contribute quite a lot of that amount. So it isn't new money, it's not the 100 trillion plus that I referred to earlier that that is required. It's existing money invested in uh, equities and and probably the bond market. Uh, It may well include the banks, but again, it's current money, it's money under current management. What we need is the new investment to go to the right places. Uh, and that might mean transfer of that existing investment Uh, one of the challenges of course then is is on what basis because one of my old employees you could argue well it's a fossil fuel company it possesses the skills the capacity the financial strength to be one of the major parts of the solution in terms of the scale of the investment that's required but if you decide on a tick box basis, that like any company still producing oil and gas, which is being used to finance the transition to a, a different future. Uh, if you can't invest in it because of a tick box, tick box approach, then is that a positive? Well, I'm not sure it is, because where would you put that money, bearing in mind many of the companies in the innovative new energy space, to be honest, are at the moment too small to benefit from a trillion dollars being made available to them so it's a question of over time the transition will see those funds move but you can't move them very quickly and the worst thing that could happen today would be uh, a binary outcome to a review whether it's for lending for syndicated finance or for equity investments that says i can't invest in this company for the following reasons which may well be ideological rather than science-based, economics-based, and long-term focused. Right discussion to have, but whether that's going to happen or not is to be proven, particularly as we're talking about public companies. Much of the capital looking for a home at the moment today is in the private equity sector. Will they be held to the same standards and expectations? And probably even more importantly, state-owned enterprises. Uh, the I actually sit on the board of a Chinese energy company, and you may be surprised to hear that they're under just as much pressure and having exactly the same discussion as Western companies. And in practice, the the pressure from the government is much more direct and sustained over a period of time, which is good. When I look at... The overall discussion, though, this is primarily about public traded entities, and at the end of the day, if those companies divest their assets, their fossil fuel, their dirty assets, we have to say, well, who are they divesting to? Is it private equity, which is where a, a lot of the cash looking for a home is at the moment, or would it be state-owned enterprises uh, in countries that may not have quite the same standards or expectations? So a this is already happening in coal mining, for example, uh, and to an extent in oil and gas. And therefore, we have to ask the question, is this a net positive if, in fact, the assets continue to be operated by people working to lower standards? So we should be quite careful in terms of what we expect the drivers to be for companies uh, and how they're then framed. So how this plays out in practice over time is going to be key it's the right discussion to have no question but it could work out in the precisely the wrong way if done in a tick box binary fashion
0: okay and maybe simon verley your your thoughts on on what simon's been speaking about which is really creating arbitrage between the 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 quoted and the non-quoted sectors um and uh, and and the uh, the impact of that not really being positive overall for climate. Your your um, observations on that or anything that, that sh- you think should be done to avoid that outcome?
2: Well, I think Simon makes a really good point. This is a risk, I think, in the short and medium term, that we do have effectively this arbitrage opportunity for private investors who perhaps aren't subject to the same rules or the same scrutiny levels as publicly listed companies effectively picking up those stranded assets and operating them maybe with less scrutiny. And as Simon's saying, you know, no, no, uh, necessarily not necessarily with a reduction in emissions as a result. I think over the longer term, I'm more hopeful that some of the same pressures will start to apply to uh, private investors, because I think banks and others will uh, start asking the questions that they're now asking listed companies. But this is definitely an important issue for policymakers as they think about the coverage of these new disclosure rules and how they apply over time. So very much agree with what Simon's been saying there.
0: Right. so um, we're we're coming to the end of I guess part one of this of this discussion, which has been great in terms of setting out the what the big picture is, some of the challenges. And I think both of you have um, made it absolutely clear that action is needed now. We need government business society working together. Um, and and really companies need to get on with thinking about this from a strategic perspective. So before we do close, I'm going to ask both of you um, the same question, is what would be your top tip for board members now on how to progress their, their climate risk agenda? And maybe Simon, Henry, if we start with you.
1: Thanks. A, understanding your own business model, how that may be impacted, where are the risks? where are the opportunities is the most productive discussion looking out over an appropriate time period whether it be 5 years 10 years or sometimes 20 to 30 years for a long cycle investment type sector uh, everything else flows from that uh, and we will come on to some of the the practical consequences in the second part of this discussion
0: thank you simon verley anything you would add to that
2: i agree with what sim has just said there i, I think I'd encourage non-execs to really challenge the exec team, you know, does this plan add up? Uh, is it a credible transition plan? Can we get ahead of these new requirements rather than just being buffeted by them and responding in a piecemeal way? And are we discussing this and integrating this at the right level in the company? And have we got the right skills at that uh, top level to really address what is you know, the challenge of our time. So I think those are some of the the additional things I'd be encouraging, you know, NEDS to be doing.
0: Unfortunately, that's all we have time for in part one of our podcast, where we've begun to unravel some of the climate challenges for corporates. There is a lot more to explore on this topic, so make sure you tune in for part two, where we'll continue the discussion and focus on the reporting landscape, share some industry examples of good practice, and explore the questions board members should be asking of management. Please do subscribe to our podcast to get alerted when new episodes are published. Thank you and goodbye for now.